0: Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg
1: Alter Rebbe discusses that at uh, Mount Sinai during Revelation the Jewish people experienced we had a taste of of this world becoming a home, a dwelling place for Hashem, for God. That's why the Jewish people experienced such ecstasy during the giving of the Torah that they became nullified. Their being, their egos, their sense of I, their sense of separation became completely nullified before God. They realized that there's nothing but God. We don't exist outside of God, there's nothing but God. All there is, from God's point of view, all there is is God. They're just, just an expression of God. There is nothing else. And once the heavens opened up and God descended down the mountain and God gave the Torah and He revealed this truth, it blew them away. It touched their very being, their very existence. And they, they were so ecstatic by this realization it totally flips your whole mind it changes your whole viewpoint instead of viewing yourself as there's God up there and I'm down here and we're separate from God and apart from God and we have our egos independent beings suddenly you realize from God's point of view there's nothing but God there's nothing separate from Him there's nothing apart from Him all, the, all that exists is, is God there's nothing else and that we, we are within God and, and, and what are we really? we're really nothing other than than Godliness like the analogy he brought earlier The light of the sun within the sun. If the sun can give off light, can emanate light, surely the sun has light. You can't give what you don't have. If the sun is able to give off light and heat, energy, surely the sun also contains light. But where is the light within the sun? You can't find it. Not that the light, there is no light in the sun. The sun must have light. But it's not about, it's the sun. The light is nothing other than the sun. There's nothing else apart, separate from the sun. So yes, God is creating us and creating everything that exists. But from God's point of view, all there is is God. There is nothing else. Nothing changes, even after creation, during creation. It's like before creation. All there is is really God himself. There's nothing else. Like there was a group of Hasidim. This was in the Soviet Union, Communist Russia and at night there was a curfew the government put a curfew at night You weren't allowed to walk the streets in the middle of the night and the Hasidim got together and they had a fabrengan fabrengan means a get together after praying all day and studying Torah all day and developing themselves individually developing their spiritual, spirituality at the end of the day they would come together and have a, a gathering a group a gathering where, each, where everyone strengthens strengthens each other a group session group therapy everyone strengthens each other because as powerful as you may be individually as strong as you may be individually we draw strength from each other we need each other you know we're not supermen we can't do it alone we need we need we need to help each other and strengthen each other when two jews get together it's two godly souls against one animal soul Two godly souls against one ego. Because our egos only look out for number one, for ourselves. We couldn't care less about anyone else. We care more about our own pinky than millions of people dying in Africa. Who cares? But your pinky hurts. That's the end of the world. But your godly soul is selfless, not only does it care about yourself, it genuinely loves and cares, cares about the other person. So when two Jews are discussing their spiritual lives—it's two. They have the power and the energy of two godly souls ganging up against one animal soul, one ego. That's the power of a fabreng and of the group group therapy. So you can imagine the power. So chassidim would fabreng and when they would Fabreng, they would say a little lachaim. In the temple, before they offered a sacrifice, they would drink the they would give the animal to drink a lot of water. Because it softens the skin, it makes it easier to take off, take off the skin of the animal, to skin the animal after they, they, they slaughter the animal. So Hasidim would drink a little l'chaim to soften the skin before they skin the animal, the ego soul, to soften up soften up a little, soften the opposition. So you say a little l'chaim. When a person's inhibitions are, are down, you can allow yourself to be more vulnerable, you can allow yourself to be more honest. So your heart is more open, you can listen, you can listen to honest feedback. So so that's what a fabrengen, a fabrengen is really a group, a group therapy, coming together, strengthening each other. And they would sing very stirring souls, melodies that that, that would touch their soul, and they would discuss, discuss their lives, their spiritual lives, and help each other, because you can't see yourself objectively, the other person could see you objectively and honestly so when you're, welcome, when you're open to that after a little achayim you're open to that feedback then you can, you, can, you can go forward in your spiritual growth and all night they were discussing this concept they were discussing here the concept in Hebrew is called bitl, bitl means self-nullification there's no ego, there's no I the concept that that the Jew spent so much time trying to internalize the truth and the reality from God's point of view there is no separate there is is nothing else but God we view our reality as separate independent egos split off disconnected from the source from God but from God's point of view there is no difference we are just all part of God there is nothing else but God we are absolutely unified within the absolute unity of God nothing changed before creation during creation after creation all that that exists really is God we are just an expression so a whole night they were, trying to, they were discussing this concept and trying to internalize it in their personal lives to integrate this concept that there's no ego, there's no I. There's the divine soul, the divine spark that gets it, that has that simple Jewish faith that understands and really gets the idea that there's no other reality but God. So at four in the morning, the policeman stops, he sees a person walking. He says, who's going there in Russian? He says, who's walking? What's your name? Instead of answering, my name is Chaim Yankel better Schmerl, he says, you know who's walking? Bittl is walking. Bittl means self-nullification. Egolessness is walking. Who's walking down the street? Egolessness is walking down the street. In the Chassid. became so, he internalized it to such an extent. He really got the concept that there is no ego, there's no separation, there's no disconnect, there's no other reality but God, that that became his name when the policeman asked him, who is walking? He says, not I, there is no I. Who is walking? My whole being, my whole existence is, is my understanding that there's no other reality but God. Bittel is walking. So that's the idea that there is a world, God creates the world, it's not an illusion. As the Eastern mystics claim, this world is not a Maya, this world is not an illusion, this world is very real. But what is this world all about? This world is like the light of the sun within the sun. It's the sun. There's nothing else other than the sun. So what are we really all about? Our whole being, our whole essence really is all about that there's no other reality but God. So everything in the world points its finger and shows us that there's no other reality but God. So at Mount Sinai, the whole world, they heard God's voice from every corner of the world. The whole world pointed to the reality, That what, what am I all about the realization that there's no other reality but God. And the Jewish people experienced it at Mount Sinai. They felt it, they lived it. And it led them to such ecstasy, to such pleasure. Imagine this, when this dawns on you, and this realization, which totally changes how you look at yourself, look at reality, that they flipped out. They couldn't take it. Out of ecstasy, for pleasurable reasons. They didn't experience death. In a negative sense, they experience death in the sense that they, their souls just expired from pure ecstasy, pure pleasure. There's no pleasure on earth, there's no materialistic indulgence that even comes close to the pleasure that the soul experiences when the soul truly experiences godliness, the unity of God. There's no other reality but God. When you truly get it and experience it experientially, there's no greater ecstasy. The souls expired in pure ecstasy now that wasn't the purpose of Mount Sinai the purpose of Mount Sinai wasn't that the Jewish people should pass out and should expire and bring the world to an end the purpose of Mount Sinai was to bring heaven down to earth and that's why it says as we left off last week that Hashem Hashem brought down the dew of Torah that resurrects the dead has the power to resurrect the dead And it's with this power that God resurrected them. After they heard the first commandment that I am God, your God, that took you out of Egypt. And they experienced the first commandment that there's no other reality but God. They died in ecstasy and God revived them. And then he said the second commandment, thou shalt not worship idols. There's no other reality but God. Then they again expired from ecstasy and God had to revive them again. And then they begged Moses and says, listen, enough the next eight commandments we want to hear from you we don't want to hear from God we can't handle it it's too too intense too powerful you know we can't die and be revived die and be revived every moment it's not a way to live
0: what? he strikes you out (laughs) (laughs) he strikes you out
1: exactly so uh, God says they're right and the next eight commandments they heard from Moshe's throat but they heard God's voice speaking through Moshe's throat Moshe was like the medium and God spoke through Moshe and that they can handle Before we get to the explanation, let's let's, uh, just read a few paragraphs. In the middle of page 480, in the middle of the page, therefore, they the Jews.
2: Therefore, they the Jews who stood at Sinai were nullified out of existence, as our rabbis have said. At every utterance, their soul took flight from their body. But our Shem restored it to them with the dew with which he will revive the dead in the world to come. This is the dew of Torah, which is called might. The Torah provides the strength that enables us to receive divine revelation without dissolving out of existence, as explained above in reference to the reward of tzaddikim in the world to come. Similarly, our sages remark, whoever engages in the study of Torah, the dew of Torah will revive him. Torah is variously described as dew, rain, and so on, each figure denoting a different level within it. From the statement just paraphrased, we learn that "do" refers to the Torah's restorative power, and it was this do by which Hashem restored the souls of the Jews, which had taken flight upon experiencing a degree of divine revelation, foreshadowing that of the Messianic era.
1: What he's saying is that God elevated the Jewish people to even a higher level. When the revelation of God caused their existence to to dissolve and they lost their being and they lost their life from ecstasy, that's a very powerful level where you can experience the unity of God. You can experience the truth that there's no other reality but God. That this whole concept of life that we have, this whole concept of self, which is the foundation of our being, it all begins with ego, with sense of self, sense of separation, of independence but when the Jewish people realize and experience that that truth is so far from the truth we're not separate from God there's no other reality but God there's no ego there's no separation there's no disconnect the whole world is dissolved in front of their eyes their whole premise of existence their whole assumption of reality was, comp- was challenged and therefore they were completely nullified they realized nothing else exists apart from God aside from God outside of God all there is is God Nothing changed before creation, during creation, after creation. And they expired. But then there's a higher level. A higher level is that you don't have to expire. You can experience the unity of God while living in this world, in the framework of this world, going about your daily business, without expiring. That that actually comes from a much higher level. The ability to live in this world do business, eat, sleep, drink, act like any other human being, and yet your whole life is permeated with Torah. Torah permeates your entire being 24-7, from the moment you're born, even before you're born, the mother goes to the mikvah before the child is even conceived, till the last breath, and even afterwards, there's the Jewish burial, there's the life after, after death, there's a way... The Torah covers every aspect of existence from the beginning, middle, and end. There's not a single aspect of existence, relationship, business, that the Torah isn't, doesn't guide us, enlighten us, give us instructions and teaching. Because the Torah is, gives us the ability, and this is why the Torah is called strength, it gives us the strength to be able to live life and yet experience every moment of our life to experience godliness, to experience the truth and the reality that there's no other reality but God. Because what is the Torah? The Torah's perspective, the Torah's point of view is really God's point of view. It's God's wisdom. It's God's vision of this world. It's not science, math, physics. That's that's human wisdom. That's our wisdom, our understanding of reality. As the modern physicist has come to the realization, there's a beautiful article, uh, actually, it was a front-page story, a cover story of Time magazine, okay, around a year ago, that the physicists have come to the realization that the whole known universe, we only know, I believe it was 6%, I'm not sure it was 4% of the universe, or 6% of the universe. 94% of the universe, 96% is unknown. Not only, I don't know if you, if you remember reading the article, not only is it unknown... We can't know it. We don't even have the tools how to begin to know it. It's unknowable to us. So all our sciences and our math and our wisdoms are scratching the surface. We don't even have the tools with which to know reality. Reality is so infinite, so beyond our grasp. The wisdom of Torah is different. The wisdom of Torah is God's wisdom. It's God's point of view from the inside out. And from God's point of view, the whole world, the whole creation, God had a vision, and that's the Torah. Everything that exists was created through the Torah. It says God looked into the Torah and He created it. It says in the Torah there should be light. God looked in the Torah and He said there should be light, and He created light. Torah is the blueprint for reality. There's nothing in the building that you won't find in the blueprint. There's nothing in existence. There's no human experience, good, bad, ugly, positive, negative, that you won't find in the Torah. Because the only reason it exists is because the Torah is God's vision. God had a vision and a, and a plan and a purpose. And He created everything in this world is merely here to implement another part of that vision. It's like a, a parable to express a different part of that vision. So from God's point of view, there's only a unified vision. All there is is this vision. Everything that exists is just is like a prop, an expression, a symptom of this vision. There's nothing else. So when you study Torah and you live a life of Torah, you're participating in life, in in God's perspective. You're living life from the inside looking out. You're experiencing this unity on a very personal level in your daily life, every moment, every day of of your life, 24-7. So the Torah and the mitzvot give us the ability to live this truth and express the absolute unity of God in our daily lives. In our normal, natural, ordinary, earthy, down-to-earth, human, human level. As we go about our daily lives as human beings, we can experience and express the truth that there's no other reality but God. In our business, every time you take a cup of water, and you make a bracha, you make a blessing, Baruch <laughs> atah Hashem, she'akol God is creating this cup of water every moment being created by the divine energy. So every moment becomes an opportunity to connect with the divine, to plug in to eternity. Every moment becomes a moment, an eternal moment, a genuine moment, an authentic moment. And for the Jew, instead of life being, living for the moment, where all that matters is the momentary pleasure, which is the motto of our junk lifestyle that passes as culture today. Junk food, junk lifestyle, living for the moment. That's all that matters is instant gratification. No past, no present, no future, no connection to anything, to anyone. The Torah teaches us how to live in the moment. Every moment becomes an eternal moment. You live in the present, in the moment. You're drinking a cup of water. You stop and drink the cup of water. And you make a blessing. And you realize what you're doing. And you realize what's going on. How this cup of water is nourishing you. How this cup of water has divine energy. has life energy. And it's nourishing your life. And this moment you plug in and becomes connected to all previous moments. And all future moments. And you become connected to every Jew that ever lived and all the Jewish people that will come in the future. Every soul that ever existed and all the future souls. Every moment becomes a moment, an opportunity to connect to eternity. So the Torah, this is the divine miracle of the Torah. The Torah gives us the strength to be able not to nullify existence, not to escape from existence. To escape is easy. To die in ecstasy is easy. To fast is easy. To go on a mountaintop and meditate is easy. To become a monk and a nun, that's easy. That's not the Torah ideal. The Torah ideal is to come down the mountain, the day after the giving of the Torah, to internalize and integrate, take everything you've learned, take that peak, that ideal, that spiritual high, and bring it down into your daily life. And that every moment of your existence, every moment becomes an opportunity, becomes infused with godliness. When you're going about your business, You you are infused with a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of connection. You're God's ambassador. You're doing something holy, something divine. You're not just surviving the rat race and paying bills. You are God's ambassador. That's your mission. It's not just when you're in the synagogue that you're connecting with God. When you're going about, you're doing your career, doing your business, interacting with the world, you are God's personal ambassador. And you are representing it. And you are bringing godliness into your your little world and you're elevating your portion of life and connecting it to Hashem so when you live with that sense of mission 24-7 constant connection you always connect the Torah doesn't nullify existence on the, on the initial level in the initial level that is maybe the introductory level the introductory level the Torah blows you away and it completely nullifies your existence and nullifies your ego and you realize the whole world is nothing. All there is, is God. And you get so excited and enthusiastic. But you can't stop there. Then you have to go to the next level, a higher level. Higher level is to re-engage in the world, but re-engage it from a Torah point of view, seeing the world with a Torah lens. Seeing the reality, there's no other reality but God in your in your daily life, in your mundane life, in the details of your life. And that's much more challenging. The truth is that's the way we we grow. First, we start out as children. Children are very pure, children are very innocent, children have no real connection to the world. Children are sheltered, they're protected. Don't have to worry about earning a living. They can focus and concentrate on developing themselves emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. So they are like the level of Sinai, where the world doesn't exist. You know, all that exists is really—it's a very pure world. All that exists is God. There's no other reality. It's a very godly life, a very pure life, a very wholesome life. And then comes the challenge—the challenges. That's just, a, that's just a training ground. We have to grow up. We can't remain children. The reality is, when you're able to leave that cocoon, like a Jewish people in the desert, they had to leave the desert and enter into the promised land. And they, although they left behind the clouds of glory and they left behind the miraculous manna from heaven and they left behind the miraculous waters from the stone, and the miraculous existence and here they had to start living a natural existence Had to plow the land six days a week you should work and only one day a week is Shabbos not like in the desert where they had seven days a week was Shabbos they didn't have to work for 40 years they didn't have to work they had to lift up a pinky everything was provided for them they they dedicated 40 years of pure bliss studying Torah the greatest teacher that ever lived Moses in a cocoon in a divine cocoon but they had to grow up time to move on that's just the preparation that's just the training the ultimate goal is for a Jew to enter into the promised land live a natural life but to bring the Torah into the land to transform the land from a corrupt decadent land into a holy land to take the land and to make it holy to work the land but to work it with all the laws of the Torah the mitzvot of the Torah so this is what he calls strength. This is the do of the Torah, the level of do of the Torah, which has the ability to resurrect us, has the ability to revive the dead, so to speak, has the ability to give us the strength to bring us, bring us into the world, to inject, to infuse our daily lives with this idea that there's no other reality but God. But this was a very temporary, it was a moment. It didn't last too long. It lasted exactly 40 days. What happens when the Jewish people sin with the golden calf? They went right back to the way it was. The Medrash says, when God created the world, this world was a Garden of Eden. There was no illness, there was no evil, there was no death. Adam sinned, he disconnected... God from this world, so to speak. Godliness from this world. God's presence became remote, removed. And then when the next generation started drifting towards idolatry, God became even further removed from the first heaven to the second heaven, even more remote from this world. And then when they continued to sin, and then with the flood, and then with the Tower of Babel, and Sodom and Gomorrah, so he had like seven different stages. By that, by the time Sodom and Gomorrah came around, in Abraham's time, God was removed to the seventh heaven. God became such an abstraction, so remote, so disconnected from people's lives, people were oblivious of that. They had no idea of God's existence. God became so irrelevant to people that his name wasn't even mentioned. They completely forgot all about him. So he, he was removed to the seventh heaven. Abraham, the very first Jew, that we encounter in this week's Tower of Origin. Abraham started bringing God back down to earth. He brought God from the seventh heaven to the sixth heaven. Isaac brought him from the sixth heaven to the fifth heaven. Jacob brought him from the, from the uh, uh, fifth heaven to the fourth heaven. His son Levi brought him from the fourth to the third. His oldest son Kahaz brought him from the third to the second. His son Am- Amram, Moses' father, brought God down from the, he was the leader. In Egypt, he brought God down from the second heaven to the first heaven. And it was up to Moses, the seventh, to bring God back down to earth.
2: What about
1: Noah? Noah was a non a giant of a man, a prophet. God spoke to him. He single-handedly saved the world. But Noah was only able to save himself. That's why the flood is called the flood of Noah. Noah really had no influence on his environment. If you look at McGuinness book of world records, under the world's worst salesman, don't forget Noah built an ark for 120 years. Rashi says, why did God ask him to personally build the ark? That's why it took him 120 years, because he couldn't he couldn't have anyone help him. The mitzvah was for him to personally build the ark. It was 480 when he started building. And he personally had to build it. It was a huge ark, 450 feet by a little more than 450 feet by 100 feet, three stories. And he had to personally build it. Why did God causes him to build this for 120 years? He could have built it. He could have saved them many ways. Could have hold them up in a, in a cave. And the answer is because he wanted him to rebuke his generation. He wanted him to people will wonder why you're building an ark. So he'll tell them God is bringing a flood. God is very upset the way you're behaving, the way you're treating each other. A bunch of thieves. A bunch of Ghanavim. And tried to get them to to change. So if you look in the Guinness Book of World Records, you'll see the world's worst salesman is Noah. Because he couldn't make a single sale in 120 years. Even the world's worst salesman could at least sell one person. The only one he convinced was his wife, his three sons, and his three daughters-in-law. That's all. Versus Abraham, Abraham cared about his generation. When God told him, I'm going to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah, he started bargaining. He didn't just accept it. And that's the difference between Abraham and Noah. Noah is an expression in Yiddish, a tzaddik and pelts." Anyone ever hear that expression? Pelts means a fur coat. When a person is cold, there are two ways to warm yourself up. One way is by putting on a fur, a fur coat. A better way to warm yourself up is by lighting a fire. The difference is, when you wear a fur coat, the only one that's warm is you. When you light a fire, you're warm, and you've also warmed up everyone around you. That's the difference between Noah and Abraham. Noah really cared about himself. He really didn't care about anyone. Proof is in the pudding. He couldn't convince a single person. Versus Avram, Avram had a huge following. Avram had thousands of people. Avram challenged the politically correct uh, you know, theology of his day and age. Idolatry, paganism. He was thrown into the fire. But he developed, he created the whole follow. He challenged. He made waves. Because Avram cared. He opened his tent to everyone. What do you mean Noah didn't care? He rebuked the people. Because he did it because it was a mitzvah. It was a commandment. That's why he did it. He didn't do it because he really cared about the other person. It was part of his spiritual growth. Part of his perfectionism. You have to care, part of the picture is to be a perfect picture of a perfect person. You have to be a humanitarian, you have to care about other people. Okay, fine. So it was part of his development. The other person was a prop for his own personal development. And they felt it, they knew it. They knew deep down, he didn't really care about them. It was all about self-expression. Abraham genuinely cared about another person. He was ready to bargain with God and argue with God. Moshe took it a step further. Moshe gave God an ultimate. He said, "I'm going to wipe out the generation." He have got an ultimate, so he really cared. And you know that's why they had such an impact on the people around them. That's why Moshe was a leader that affected and impacted all of us. He's our teacher. And that's why Abraham had such a huge following. People know the difference. People know if you genuinely care about them, or, or you're just a, you know, they're just a prop for your own personal growth. Now, there's nothing wrong with Noah. Noah was a perfect human being the Torah says, he said, he was perfect, he was whole, Noah reached the highest level, that a human being can reach, that is the highest level, a human being can reach, a human being is defined by ego, that's our nature, you can't jump out of your own skin, You you can't go beyond, your own frame of reference, that is our whole frame of reference, our whole frame of existence, is ego, I, self, Noah was a highly evolved human being, a spiritual human being, a godly human being, created in the image of God, a righteous human being, a Hasidic non-Jew. He's the role model for all six billion people that are alive today. So there's there's no fault in Noah. As a matter of fact, it just shows you how hopelessly corrupt that generation was. Could you imagine? There wasn't a single person who would... You couldn't convince a single soul. It just shows you how impossibly decadent and incorrigible these people were which only highlights the greatness of Noah despite the fact that the generation was so corrupt and decadent Noah has such strength of character not to be influenced by his generation to maintain his integrity him and his entire family I mean that, that says a lot that's why he's such a hero but, but that's so that's the best a human being can reach God doesn't ask of a human being more more than they can produce Abraham was different Abraham was the first Jew. A Jew has a different soul. It's a Jewish soul. It's a piece of the divine essence. You know, we think out of the box. We're not limited to the framework of existence. We can taste life from God's point of view, that there's no other reality but God. We can experience life from God's point of view. And that's why there's a genuine selflessness. Because ultimately there's a motivational center within us that's not motivated by ego. We're not ego-centered even a spiritual ego, we're God-centered. And therefore, there's a genuine selflessness. That's why Jews are from the kindest people on the face of the earth. We're disproportionately represented in all of the philanthropies and all of the charities. Whether it's save the whales or save the dolphins, whatever it is, the Jews are right up there, right up front. Any causes. It's just ingrained in our nature because we have that Jewishness, that Jewish spark, that spark of Abraham, that, a certain selflessness a genuine caring. Israel offered to send rescue teams to Iran Iran is building a bomb to to destroy Israel they say it openly every opportunity he opens his mouth he says it clearly I mean he can't say any any clearer and yet when they suffered the other year when they suffered and they had these uh, terrible earthquakes and 70, 100,000 people died Israel was the first one to say listen we're the most experienced in the world unfortunately we'll help you it's a humanitarian crisis people are dying of course, they refused. God, They would rather die than let those cursed Zionists in. But the only, this is a Jew. This is a Jewish soul. We're compassionate. It's part of our DNA. It's ingrained in our being. So we don't hold it against Noah. Noah reached the highest level that a human being can reach. But he was a tzaddik in peltz. He warmed himself up by putting on a fur coat. While Abraham lit a fire. Abraham lit up the whole world. He was a light, a star to the whole world. Your children will be like stars. Just like the star helps you navigate the middle of the night when it's dark. You navigate your way through the stars. The Jew is a navigator. The Jew is a star to the world. The Jew has given the world monotheism and the prophets and and law and order and justice and, and all the other blessings. So it was Moshe who was the seventh and the seventh is the most beloved in Judaism. It's our lucky number. The seventh day of the week is Shabbos. The seventh year is Sh- the Shemitah, the sabbatical. After seven cycles of seven, we have the Jubilee. So Moshe was the seventh and he was the Shabbos. He was the beloved one. And that's why he had the ability to conclude what Abraham began. He brought God down to earth. Through the Torah, he brought God down to earth. See, he mended what Adam and Chava, their sin, caused God to be disconnected from this world. And they, as a result, as a consequence, they introduced evil, death. It wasn't a punishment, it was a consequence. Because they introduced ego and, and they became, this world became split off and disconnected from God, at least consciously. And therefore, they introduced death into the world and suffered. And the world became harsh. Moshe mended that. and he healed. He cured the world. He healed the world at Mount Sinai. It says they were free from evil inclination. They were free from the angel of death. Had the Jewish people not sinned with the golden calf, that would have been. They would have ushered in the messianic era. Moshe would come down the mountain, and they would go straight into Israel. And the entire world, all human beings, all human consci- consciousness would have been completely transformed. And there were there was no there was no illness. Medrash says that anyone those that were blind their eyesight was restored those who were deaf their hearing was restored they got a taste of Mashiach they got a taste of perfection for a brief moment when God's presence once again came down into this world and God was married to the Jewish people here in this world and they were conscious of God. They were so conscious of God that they expired from ecstasy. It was so real to them. It was so conscious. It wasn't just an abstract philosophical concept. They saw it. They saw it. They heard. It. They felt. It. They experienced it. That Their soul just expired in ecstasy. They couldn't take it. It was so intense. It was so powerful. It was so revolutionary. It was so shocking. Pleasantly shocking. That they just, just expired. So for a brief moment. The world once again became a godly place, a holy place. That's why it says there was no echo. When God spoke, there was no echo, because there was no resistance. There was nothing to bounce off God's voice. There was no resistance. The whole world absorbed the Torah, absorbed the godly message. They heard God's voice coming from all, all four corners of the world because the truth is there's nothing else but God. That's all there is. Everything that exists in this world originates from the Torah. Why does a person have 248 limbs? Because they have 248 mitzvot. Torah is not religion. It's not just a constitution of law. A wise book. A wise way to organize our lives. Politically, individually, and communally. It's not that we start with life and then we scratch our head and we try to figure out, okay, what's the best way to live our lives? You have philosophers and you have moralists trying to figure out what's the best way to live your life. And people came up with different answers. And Moshe came up with a certain, Jewish people came up with their answer, their constitution, the Torah. No. Torah is the blueprint for life. The world starts out with the Torah and then comes life. The, The world, life in this world is just a reflection of the Torah. Nothing else. It's just a mirror of the Torah. There is nothing else. There are two, why are there 248 limbs? Because there are 248 mitzvot. That's why God created 248 limbs to be able to carry out and implement these two 248 mitzvahs. Why is there a financial market? A Wall Street Journal a Wall Street? Because it says in the Torah you should give tzedakah. So in order to be able to implement this mitzvah, God created the whole financial system. Everything in the world exists only to implement the Torah. There is nothing else. It's not that the world exists, period. And now, okay, let's try to become spiritual. Let's try to become religious. Let's try to become a little deeper, a little more intent, a little more genuine. No. That's religion. That's not Judaism. Mount Sinai was a revelation, and it blew them away when they realized it doesn't work that way. That's not true. The reality is, everything in the world is just a mirror image of the Torah. There is nothing else. Just like the body is a mirror image of the soul. Why is the eye so complicated? Because the eye reflects the ability of the soul to see. Perfectly matches the soul's ability to see. So the body is merely a, a materialization of the soul. Every organ in the body perfectly matches its corresponding spiritual organ. Because the material is just a, is just a mirror image of the, of the spiritual. That's why it says at Mount Sinai, God opened up the heavens and they, and they saw the angels. They saw the angelic the chariots, they saw Ezekiel's vision. And the question is, and that's the Haftorah that we read, on Shavuot, we read the Haftorah, we read about Ezekiel's vision. The question is, that seems like a very low grade, very low level. Ezekiel's vision, the mystical vision of the chariots, of angels, here God himself revealed himself. We're talking about the revelation of God himself, his very essence. Why even notice the angels? Why would the Jews so take them and the heavens opened up and they saw all the heavenly angels? And the answer is because what they saw and they, the vision they saw and what they experienced was that it's a parallel reality. It's a parallel universe. Everything that exists in this world is reflected by a spiritual corresponding reality. The lion in this world, the physical lion, is a reflection of the angels that are compared to lions. The eagles are a reflection of the angels and the chariots that are compared to eagles. Everything in the physical world is just a mirror image, a reflection, a tip of the iceberg of something spiritual. It's just a materialization of the spiritual. That's all it is. There's nothing else. It's not like the world has an independent existence and we're trying to connect to something otherworldly. We're trying to become spiritual, religious. No, this world is merely a mirror, a reflection of of the spiritual. There's nothing else. All there is is really godliness. And everything in the world is just a reflection of the Torah. And everything was created in order to reflect the Torah, implement the Torah. And this blew the Jewish people away. It just blew them away. And their soul just expired in ecstasy. When they experienced it and they felt it and they realized it, this was so counterintuitive. This was so mind-boggling. This is not religion. This is not mysticism. This is beyond anything they've ever experienced or even suspected. And they expired in pure ecstasy and this lasted for a few moments. <laughs> then came the sin of the golden calf and we reverted back to our good old ways and as a result we reintroduced death into the world that's why the sin of the golden calf is considered the worst sin in Jewish history the worst treachery in Jewish history As the Talmud puts it, it's like the bride being unfaithful. The bride meaning the Jewish people. Because Mount Sinai was the marriage, the chuppah, between the groom, which refers to God, and the Jewish people, which which, uh, the Jewish people refers to the bride, which is why in the Torah God is always referred to as He, not because the Torah was written by men, but because God is the groom and the Jewish people are His bride. So the Talmud says it's the equivalent of the bride being unfaithful under the chuppah Could you imagine in the wedding hall the night of the wedding the mountain was on fire 40 days the mountain was on fire God's presence was, was obvious and the Jewish people couldn't contain themselves what hope is there for this marriage <laughs> this marriage is DOA is dead on arrival you can understand why God said listen this is Have I mean, you forget it what's the point if it can't survive 40 days is it going to survive 3,300 years right now we're with 3,321 years it's hopeless it's, 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 this, this is finished so God wanted to press the restart button the delete, start over again because this, is, this marriage is hopeless and Moshe like a good shatrin, good matchmaker he also threw in the counseling for the same price as a good marriage counselor he spoke to God went up for 40 days at his private session with God spoke to the groom spoke to came down spoke to the bride and he brought them back together again reconciliation that was Yom Kippur Yom Kippur was God forgave the Jewish people and they actually experienced a much deeper level of intimacy it only led that disaster only led to a much deeper more enriching relationship a much deeper marriage than had there been no issues in the marriage. That was Yom Kippur, the second tablets that, n- that were not destroyed. But the world lost its, that purity. That Garden of Eden, that was lost. We introduced death into the world, we introduced sin, and look, 3,300, and 21 years later, Mashiach still hasn't come. Had the Jewish people not sinned, Moshe would come down the mountain. They would have marched straight into Israel. That would have been ushered in the Messianic era for all human beings. 3,321 years later, Mashiach still hasn't come. The world is still a coarse place full of lies and deception. Even though the lies are beginning to wear thinner, thin, very thin today. Uh, That's why we're living in the Messianic era, because lies are not working anymore. The world is becoming allergic to lies. As we see by this global shakeup, shaking the world to its core, because the old way of doing things, the old lies no longer work, everything is exposed today with the information age, everything is out in the open, it simply doesn't work anymore, but it took so long, it took 3,321 years, and we're not there yet, we're almost there imminently at the threshold, you can see it, you can smell it already, you you can taste it, but we're still not there yet, we haven't crossed the bridge yet. But nevertheless, the giving of the Torah was not in vain. The giving of the Torah empowered us, gave us the ability that for the last 3,321 years, by studying Torah and doing the mitzvah, we have been preparing the world for the days of Mashiach. We've been preparing the world when heaven will come down to earth, permanently come down to earth when God will feel at home in this world, well, this home will become a place where Godliness is completely exposed and revealed, just like when a person is at a home. At home, you're completely exposed, completely revealed. There's no hiding. There's no concealment. You, hear, you let your hair down. You are, your, your essence is revealed. There's no role-playing. There's no, there's no um, projecting yourself. It's your essence. So, too, our Torah mitzvah of the last 3,321 years, Since the giving of the Torah, Mount Sinai empowered us that as a result of these Torah of Mitzvahs, we're preparing the world to bring the essence of God into this world. And the essence of God, as God is fully revealed and fully exposed, no hiding, no concealment. And this is a revelation that doesn't, it's not even possible, even in the higher realms, in the spiritual realms, in the heavens of heavens. Because the highest heaven is merely a projection of God. And even that projection is too intense. It's, even that projection has to be screened in order for us to be able to experience it. It's only in this world, in this material, physical, earthy world, in this low world, the lowest of all the worlds, which is the antithesis of godliness, paradoxically and ironically, it's this world that God says, I feel at home. It's this world that the essence of God is revealed. And it's in this world the essence of God is revealed without any hiding, without any concealment. We had a taste of it in the beginning of creation. We had a taste of it at Mount Sinai. But when will this this state of being become a permanent state? This is when Mashiach will come, when God will move back in with the Jewish people in His home in the land of Israel forever, for good. As a result of our Torah mitzvot that we've been doing for the last 3,321 years. So this is very encouraging. Because he started out asking the question, you know, when a person knows that you have to struggle, and life is such a struggle, and until the last breath, 120 years, we're going to be struggling. You know, you ask yourself the question, who's gaining, who's enjoying, who's getting something out of this? It's such a struggle for us personally. It's such a constant struggle. It's so difficult. And who's enjoying this? Who's gaining from this? When you realize that this is what's preparing the world for Mashiach, This is what's preparing us and the entire world for that ultimate moment, for the revelation of Hashem. Every time you overcome a difficulty, every time you push yourself to do a mitzvah, every time you give a penny to tzedakah, every time you do do a mitzvah, you study a little Torah, a minute of psalms, a minute of prayer, anything you do, the slightest baby step, the slightest movement forward, the slightest breaking of your nature, overcoming your nature, overcoming a difficulty, engaging in your ego, your natural soul, engaging and using your body and your ego self, your natural Mm -hmm. self, to do a mitzvah, to do a positive, a divine act, any and all the mitzvahs, you are actually preparing the world for this moment when God will permanently move into this world and dwell in this world. God's essence will be fully revealed and exposed. So that gives you tremendous courage, tremendous strength because you know what's at stake and you know how important, how critical our actions are. We can make such a huge difference. We can make a world of difference. We can change the world for good, in every sense of the word, forever. Especially today's day and age, when we're literally at the threshold. Anyone who, who's not wearing blinders can see just by the world events. You know, the last generation experienced the collapse of fascism in 1945, we experienced the collapse in 1989, the collapse of communism. A month ago we experienced the collapse of capitalism <laughs> and the only ism that remains standing it hasn't budged one ayor just as an appealing and just as relevant and just as beautiful today as it was 3800 years ago we light the same Shabbat candles that Sarah lit and we eat the same matzah that our parents eat and we, and we read the same Torah down to the last letter There's, you go anywhere in the world any Torah in the world down to the last letter the exact same Torah hasn't changed one ayor core things don't change we have 248 limbs today. We had 248 limbs 5,000 years ago. We're going to have 248 limbs. Core things don't change. Our, our styles can change. Truth doesn't change. Truth doesn't need embellishment. The divine truth of the Torah, this is real. The Jewish people are the eternal people. What happened to the mighty Greeks? What happened to the mighty Romans? What happened to all these powerful people and personalities and characters? What happened to the, to the to the Warren Buffetts and the Bill Gates of 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Who cares? Who remembers? Irrelevant. Footnotes of history. And yet the tiny Jew never left the front pages of history. Because this is eternal. This is real. And it's becoming so clear. And we've seen such a beautiful demonstration of it just a month ago. When America was facing the greatest crisis in 100 years, Financial meltdown, global meltdown, in the most unprecedented way. And that uh, Thursday or Friday, when the Senate before Rosh Hashanah, when the Senate did not pass the bailout, and that next day was a a complete meltdown all over the world. The Russian market is worth twenty percent of what it was worth just a few months ago. It's just a complete break, a complete meltdown. And there was such a sense of urgency that unless the Congress passes this bill, that's it. This is the Depression times two, all over again. What did we hear from Washington? Sorry. Tuesday and Wednesday were busy. The Jewish people are celebrating Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> Nothing can get done on Tuesday or Wednesday. Two days Rosh Hashanah, 48 hours. The Jews are busy blowing the shofar. There's nothing we can do. The whole world is waiting. The whole world, a financial collapse, a financial meltdown. So much is at stake. There are five million Jews in this country. Sorry, Congress is closed. The Jewish people are busy blowing Shofar. There's nothing we can do till Wednesday night. There was nothing, no session till Rosh Hashanah finished. They made Avdallah. Okay, now we can go back into session and save the world. I mean, you know, and and no one said a word about it. It wasn't like anyone was angry, upset. Because of the Jews, look, I lost my pensions, and I lost my life savings, and I lost... I and mean, people were frightened to that. It was like natural. It's Rosh Hashanah. I mean, it's, it's like the most natural thing in the world. <laughs> it's Rosh Hashanah. The Jewish people are busy coordinating God, the king of the universe. It's the day of judgment. The Jewish people are busy, quiet. We're not doing anything until the Jewish people get back. I and mean, if this is not messianic, if you think about it, the world is so ready for Mashiach. The world is so open to receive. The world is so open from a dawn on down. Everyone wants, wants to connect with something Jewish. The world is so open for the Jewish message. It's really up to us. We have to have the courage of our convictions to live up to our potential. To live up to our ancestors, what our ancestors hoped and dreamed for us. What they sacrificed their lives for, for 3,800 years, beginning with Abraham. We carry their hopes and their dreams. We're the only Jews that are here. It's up to us Every one of us Individually And collectively So we have the opportunity To sanctify God's name To make such a beautiful Kiddush Hashem To have such a positive influence On the world But we have to have the courage And the strength To close the deal To really bring it home We are the generation We are the transitional generation As the Rebbe would always say We are the reincarnation Of the Jews who left Egypt We stood at Sinai. Our generation We are the transitional generation there's never been a generation like ours and never will be another generation like ours we have to close the deal we are the ones who are going to be the last generation of the exile of the old order and we are going to be the first generation of redemption of the new order when this becomes a reality when God's presence becomes palpable and tangible in this world when you walk down Park Avenue and you'll sense Godliness, the world doesn't have to be a corrupt decadent deceiving place the world could be a garden of Eden it's up to us And the world is receptive to the the Jewish message. We just have to have the courage to communicate, and to live it, and to practice, to teach by example. But it was a long journey, because as a result of the sin, the world once again became coarsened. And God once again became disconnected. So it was like a brief taste. We We got a taste. When you're buying merchandise, they give you a taste. They want to pull you in, to give you a free sample. So God gave us, gave us a gift at Mount Sinai, gave us a free sample. Okay, but now, now you got to pay for it. <laughs> now you got to work. You had a sample, you loved it, you liked it, you know it's good, and we had a taste. And ever since Mount Sinai, it's been hardwired into every Jew, hardwired into us. We have a vision of perfection. That's why Jews are so revolutionary. We can't make peace with the status quo. We know that things have to change. This is not the best it can get. There's so much better we can do. Because it's been hardwired. We have that vision of perfection. Ever since, we're restless until we'll get there. We're we're using all our energy, anything that we have, every ounce of energy that we have, every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, to hasten the coming of Mashiach, to make it come one minute earlier, to to make it one minute closer. By doing an extra mitzvah, by giving an extra penny to tzedakah, and studying a little more Torah, and pushing ourselves a little.
0: But afterwards, after the Torah was given, their sin caused both them and the world to become gross again, until the end of days, when Hashem's right hand, meaning both days and right, i.e., His power will be revealed. Then the dross of the body and of the world will be refined, and they will be able to receive the revelation of Hashem's light that will shine forth over Israel by means of the Torah, which is called might. Through the superabundance of light which will shine upon the Jewish people, the darkness of the nations will also be lit up, as it is written, and nations will walk by your, the Jewish people's light. And it is also written that the nations will say to the Jewish people, House of Jacob, go, and we will walk along by the light of Hashem. And again, and the glory of Hashem shall be revealed, and all flesh will sing. And to enter the holes of the rocks and the clefts of the boulders, for fear of Hashem and of His majestic glory. This refers to the nations who will be filled with the dread of Hashem, for it cannot be said of Israel, will be one with Hashem, that they will seek refuge from Him. So also do we pray, appear in the majestic splendor of your might over all the inhabitants of the world, including the other nations. Thus we see that in the Messianic era, godliness will be revealed to all the nations of the world, and in this state lies the fulfillment of the purpose for which this world was created. So
1: although we had a taste of this at Mount Sinai, And there'll never be another Mount Sinai. So everything that will happen in the future was already contained at Mount Sinai, in the Torah. But nevertheless, there's a huge difference between Mount Sinai and what will happen imminently in the times of Mashiach. And the difference is that Mount Sinai was a gift from above. It came from above. Now, since God is infinite, so, although God Himself created this world, a very materialistic world, but God is not limited. So, God, infinite light, could penetrate the awareness and the consciousness even of human beings. Flesh and blood, earthly human beings were limited and finite. With finite minds, God could make His presence revealed. God could reveal His presence. There's no limit to God, there's no straitjacket for God. So, God is not limited to being revealed only in the spiritual realms and the higher realms angelic beings higher levels of consciousness God has the ability to reveal himself even, even to earthy human beings with very finite and very limited capacities so the revelation of Sinai came as a result of God's revelation it wasn't that the Jewish people on their own were ready were a vehicle a vessel for this revelation and the proof is 40 days later They reverted back to their their good old habits because it, it, it didn't come from within them. It came from God. God came down the mountain. Moses went up the mountain. And the real challenge of Torah is Moses representing the Jewish people that we should climb the mountain, that we have the ability to go up the mountain, that God has the ability to come down the mountain. God is God, so God is not limited. So God has the infinite ability, even though it's completely inexplicable to us, God has the ability to merge heaven and earth he can reveal heaven in earth you should sense godliness while you are a human being soul and body but a greater novelty what's much more difficult to accomplish is for us to climb the mountain for us to climb to heaven for us to change for us to become divine and godly and that's that's what's going to happen when Mashiach comes there will be a transformation of human nature this material world will be transformed into godliness. That will naturally sense godliness. The Pusik says, on top of page 482, the verse says, And the glory of God shall be revealed, and all flesh will see. Firstly, you'll see. See, he doesn't mean just see with the with the mind, the eye and the mind, Meta, you know, metaphorically speaking. He means literally, you'll see. You'll see godliness. And then he says, even your flesh will see. In other words, a person sees, we see something that's material. Why? Because material is close to us. It's tangible to us. So we can see something material. So he says, when Mashiach will come, godliness will be as close to us as material, materialism is close to us today. Then when Mashiach will come, godliness will be as close to us. It will be so tangible. Today, spirituality is abstract. It's otherworldly. It's abstract. It's difficult for us to relate to it. We can relate to it philosophically. But on a very personal level, on a very intimate level, do we really relate to it, do we really connect to it, do we really experience it? But when Mashiach will come, we'll see it. It'll, It'll feel so tangible to us. It'll be so real to us. When you see something, it's real. You can know about something. You can hear something. But when you see it, it has a whole different impact it's like a revelation. There's nothing like seeing. That's the power of, of the audio-visual medium of communication, the television over radio. It's so powerful. Seeing is so much more powerful than just hearing, per se. Hearing is abstract. It's spiritual. It's sound waves, abstracts, abstract. It's intellectual. But when you see something, even when you see something that you, that you know about, that you know very well, when you see it, it hits home. so powerful. Because it becomes tangible. It becomes like real flesh and blood. So Mashiach will come, Godliness will hit home. We'll feel it. It will be so real to us. As if we're seeing it. But then he says even more so. The flesh will see. Not only will the eyes see, but even the flesh will see. With every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, in your kishkis, in your guts, you'll feel it. You'll know Godliness. You'll just know it. You'll feel it. Consciously, subconsciously. It'll be something that you can relate to, you can connect to. And it's, it's today it's very difficult for us to even imagine how that's possible. How can an earthy human being have such a real sense of godliness?
0: But isn't that too going to come from Hashem? How is that
1: going to come from us? Because it's going to come as a result of our efforts. That's what he's going to continue in the next chapter. It's going to come as a result of our efforts. Because it's going to come as a result of our studying Torah and doing mitzvot. And all of the mitzvot engage our body, our physical bodies, our natural selves, our ego selves. In order to speak the words of Torah or to speak the words of prayer, you have to physically move your lips. You have to have energy, you have to have strength, you have to eat, you have to drink. So you're engaging all of the mitzvot. You can only fulfill the mitzvot by engaging your physical, material self, your natural self. And the question was, why such an emphasis on engaging the material, natural self when it's only affecting your soul? And the answer is no, it's not just affecting your soul because you're actually transforming your natural self, your body, the material self. And in turn, you're you're transforming the material world, because we are a microcosm of the whole world. So we are transforming the material world and making the material world a vessel to be able to absorb godliness. Now the material is dense. It's a dense material. It obstructs. It doesn't allow any electricity, any spirituality, any godliness to go through. It's thick. It's dense. It's an obstruction. It gets in the way. It's an obstacle. It seems like in conflict. Our soul once yearns for godly things, for spiritual, refined things, and our bodies in this world is very coarse and the antithesis of godliness. Very unwholesome. But as a result of our efforts and our Torah mitzvah, Mitzvot, we transform our bodies, and we transform the world. We transform the very material of the world. That the world becomes transformed. That it actually becomes able, is able to absorb godliness the dense material will be transformed and will become a home for guidance. And that's when the flesh itself will palpably and tangibly sense and experience guidance. That will be a transformation. That did not exist at Mount Sinai. That the Jewish people did not experience at Mount Sinai. They couldn't have experienced in Mount Sinai. Because Mount Sinai didn't come as a result of their efforts, their sacrifice, and all their efforts 3,321 21 years of Herculean effort, Torah, Mitzvot, of an outpouring of so much energy and engaging the material body and the material world. Mount Sinai was a gift, a revelation from God. God could do anything. God is not limited. So he was able to transform this world and make it into a garden of Eden. Make it back into a garden. Heaven came down to earth. God God came down onto the mountain. But it's only to achieve this level where the flesh itself will become, be ready to absorb god That can only come about through our efforts. Sacrifice and efforts, Torah and Mitzvah. Thousands of years. And the accumulation of all all the efforts of our ancestors. That will transform the world. And change the world. the world will be able to receive these tremendous revelations, the revelation of the very essence of God. That will hit a home like nothing else. Then godliness will hit a home. You'll know it in your kishkes, in your guts. It will become so real, so tangible to us. Like a Mashiach will come, it will not only affect the Jewish people, it will affect all six billion people. It will be like a light bulb will go on. Like everyone will know, oh yes, I always knew in the back of my mind there's a God in this world. You know, I always had I always suspected. (laughs) I always had a hunch. Rashiach will come. It will be so clear. It will be so self-evident. It will be so obvious. It will be so crystal clear. Like every human being, like a light goes on. You're in the room and it's dark and suddenly a light goes on and everything is obvious. It's clear. But this light will go on as a result of our effort and the accumulation of all that energy and all that effort. Energy never dies soul never dies energy never dies all that positive energy all the mitzvot all the tears the hope the sincerity the the love all the kindness the goodness the mitzvot the Torah the sweat all the toil this dedication the sacrifice that, that lives on forever we are building on that energy so all we have to do is we have to create the critical mass we have to put that last piece we have to add that last piece that will create that critical mass. You never know what's going to create the critical mass. It could be just one baby step and on top of all the other energies, that can create a critical mass. And suddenly, there's a transformation. A complete transformation of human consciousness. The light bulb go, will go on simultaneously, one split second. And today we can see it. You know, a hundred years ago, to believe Mashiach could come, it would have been a miracle. Mashiach will come in the shtetl. How are they going to know about it? you know until news traveled it will take weeks today everyone is plugged in right everyone is connected God plugged everyone in with the IM in one split second matter of fact the person in the street may know before us because the policeman standing in the street says, like, I just got my I am Mashiach came you know? he'll come ringing the doorbell he says Mashiach came he didn't hear the news today everyone is plugged in you can be standing on a cliff in, in the Himalayas you have your PDA you have your satellite phone this, every human being in the world is plugged in today so it can happen in one split second that the light bulb will go on it's a realization it's a dawning, it's like an awakening like we're sleepwalking and it's like awakening, reality, of course obviously, of course there's God question! It. and this will come as a result of the light of the Jewish people because when the Jew recognizes not only do we believe that we're monotheists, we believe that there's one God Oh, well, we believe that God runs this world. There's no other power outside of God. But we believe that there's no other reality but God. When a Jew, his whole core, his whole essence becomes permeated, like that chassid that walked in the street and says, Bittl is walking. Who am I? What's my identity? My whole being is nothing other than the, the realization there's no other reality but God. This intense light. When a Jew lives his life, lives out and expresses this truth every day of his life, and lives with a sense of mission, a sense of connection 24-7, that there's no other reality but God in our mundane daily lives, this intense light has the ability to illuminate the whole world around us. It doesn't just illuminate us. It will illuminate the whole world and dispel the darkness and light up the world. And then the world will become a beautiful place, a welcoming place, a beautiful place, a divine place, a Garden of Eden where everyone's true, genuine nature will emerge and surface. Deep down, everyone wants to do the right thing. When we do the right thing, we all feel like a million dollars. When we don't do the right thing, it feels good for the moment, but then at the end of the day, it leaves us feeling empty, hollow, and shallow. So imagine a world where everyone is awake. Everyone is connected. Everyone is in touch with reality, with our own reality. Instead of self-destructing, instead of behaving in ways that are self-destructive, instead of having junk food and junk lifestyle, imagine a world which is perfect beautiful clean energy green energy healthy energy wholesome even the Arabs the Arabs will mention that instead of wanting to murder Jews they'll, they'll make peace with the Jewish people that, that's when we know Mashiach has come obviously it's painfully obvious Mashiach hasn't come yet <laughs> um, Mashiach will come the Arabs will voluntarily remove their mask from the Temple Mount to clear the way for the Jewish people to build their Temple They will be knocking down the door to be the first ones to remove it, to allow the Jewish people to build a temple so God can move back in with the Jewish people forever and ever. Move back into this world. It will be a peaceful world, it will be a godly world, a good world, a wholesome world. And a world where everyone wins. Everyone cooperates, everyone wins. There's enough material materialism will be in abundance. No one will even pay attention. There'll be so much abundance. Of energy and so much abundance of materialism, no one will even pay attention. That's not how people will define themselves. People will define themselves by information and knowledge. Who's richer in knowledge and the ultimate information is the information of God, divine information. And Israel will be the, the, the Jerusalem will be the world capital. The temple, the third temple, will be the, the, the global White House, the global center of the world, the nerve center of the world. The Jewish Supreme Court will be there. The prophets, Mashiach, will be there. And the Jewish people will be the teachers of the world, spiritual teachers of the world, the light unto the nation. And um, it's really up to us. As a result of our efforts, we transform the body, the flesh itself, becomes naturally, will naturally, godliness will become, be natural for us. At Mount Sinai, it was an otherworldly experience. It wasn't really them. Forty days later, they reverted back to their nature. When Mashiach will come, our nature will be transformed. This will be our nature. This will be us, our true selves. Not just our surface conscious self, our conscious self, subconscious self. Every fiber of our being, every bone in our body, our guts, our kishkes, our whole being. Godliness will become so natural. It will, it will settle down. It will be so real to us. That there's no other reality but God. That it will be, it will be, this will be our nature. Our flesh will feel it. Our bodies will feel it. Our eyes will see it. Our ears will hear it. We'll know it. We'll see it. We'll sense it. We'll celebrate it. now that, that will be just the beginning. It's not like when Mashiach comes, we all, what do we have to look forward to in the country? Now we're all asleep, sleepwalking through life. Imagine when Mashiach comes, the great awakening, and we're fully awake and fully realized, and all our potential is realized, and this world is truly a Garden of Eden. Information is infinite. As much as you know, the more you know, the more you realize how little you know. And it's infinite. And it's inexhaustible. And it just spurs you on to grow even more. So so we haven't even seen anything. We haven't seen anything yet. If you think the exodus from Egypt was anything, all the miracles in our history, our glorious past, it's nothing in comparison to the future. We haven't seen anything yet. We haven't even scratched the surface. We haven't even started. The best is yet to come. To be continued next week.